You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's uh, podcast, we are going to talk about the transatlantic slave. So the title of this podcast is The Real Transatlantic Slave. Okay, uh, so if you if this is your first time listening to us, I highly recommend and I will also um, drop in this particular podcast links where you can get to the other body of work specifically uh, who was really in power during the time of the Atlantic slave trade, uh, the companies that were set up to do, quote, quote, slave trading trading, and what it was really about. And then uh, also we went into details on how the island of Jamaica dealt with slavery. So this particular podcast, we are going to go into the global transatlantic slave trade, okay? So let's get into a little bit of technology here, okay? All right, where are we at? Okay, we are going to... Okay, so this is coming from an article called Convict Transportation from Britain and Ireland, 1650 to 1870. This is coming from an author, Hamish Maxwell Stewart. Okay, University of New England out of Australia. Okay. So he did an excellent job with this particular article, and he is an author himself. So let me jump over right quick. I want to give you his body of work, um, as well as what he used as some of the main sources for this article. So um, Mr. Uh, Maxwell Stewart... Notice the last name, Stewart. Okay. King James Stewart. All right. Okay. Just pointing out the surnames. I am not trying to in any way implicate that he is a part of the Stewart bloodline. I am just pointing out the surnames, and we should always start to look at the surnames and know what the origins of those surnames are. So nonetheless, uh, Mr. Maxwell Stewart, his book is Closing Hell's Gates, The Life and Death of a Convict Station. Okay. And then another um, source that he used pretty heavily in this article that we are about to go through is American Citizens, British Slaves. Yankee political prisoners in uh, in an Australian penal colony, 1839 to 1850. All right. And of course, he has other references in this article, but uh, those are some of the main two. Okay, so let's get back to the article. Okay, so again, this article is Convict Transportation from Britain and Ireland, 16. 15 to 1817. Was it 1870? Okay. Uh, So, and that's this is by Hamish Maxwell Stewart. Uh, Thank you so much, Mr. Maxwell Stewart. I think you did an excellent job. I have subsequently ordered your book. Uh, I cannot wait to get into the details of your book as well. So, this is. Absolutely excellent work. All right. 
Um, okay, so let's read the abstract. We're going to go through his article in its entirety. In 1787, the first fleet was dispatched from the British Isles to find a penal set settlement at Botany Bay, Australia. Okay, so most people should know that study history, and I pause there to formulate my thoughts. Most people that study history should automatically know that Australia was a prison colony by Britain. It's no secret. It's not hidden. Uh, actually, Australia is a place that I have not visited, but I, I think I'm going to have to take a trip there. Uh, but I know someone that visited Australia, and that was just common knowledge. As a matter of fact, they were in a bar, and uh, one of the Australians pretty much stated, oh, yeah, you know, Australian people are rough people because, you know, this was a prison colony. My folks came over here as a prisoner. This was just common knowledge. Now, this person told me this, whoa, 25-something-odd years ago, and it's funny how things always stick in your mind. It's no coincidence. It needed to be stuck in my mind for this very time or frequency right now. All right. So by this time, the British government had already experimented with convict transportation for over 160 years. Okay? So... They're telling you out the gate that Britain was using a system of, they're calling it transportation, but it was really sending prisoners to different nations, sending them to different places. So as far back, they had already been using this system Back in the 1600s. Now, is this a coincidence that it lines up with the said Atlantic slave trade? Absolutely not. All right, so let's continue. All right, the aim of this article is to place the history of transportation to Australia within the content of a wider flow of convict labor from the British Isles in the period 1615 to 1870. Hmm. So we want to talk about the Atlantic slave trade? Hmm. So Britain was using convict labor from the six from 1650 to 1870? Hmm. In the America, they are calling the history of slavery or the 1619 Project. Hmm. When I told you the real 1619 Project was really black Europeans coming to America. Hmm. When we went into detail, and that is documented, black Europeans coming to America, hmm, in the 1619 Kent visitation, hmm, where it is documented in Jamaica with black Europeans being dispatched as convicts slash prisoners of war to the island of Jamaica. Hmm. Let's continue. Using data from a range of sources, it attempts to chart and explain fluctuation in the number of convicts transported over time. 
It also seeks to explore how the integration of convict labor within the transatlantic market and unfree labor shape British penal policy in the long run. Such an analysis is useful in explaining the different the differing impacts that transportation had on the prisoners who experienced it and the intensity with which it was opposed in the 19th century by the British anti-slavery movement. Huh. So, again, anti-slavery convicts or prisoners... Are, they are used interchangeably as well as servant or indentured servitude. Geographically, the article explores these issues in relations to transportation to the new world. Geographically, the article explored these issues in relations to transportation to the new world, especially Barbados, Jamaica. Maryland and Virginia, West Africa. Wait a minute. Uh, back it up, huh? Hmm? Back it up. B- 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 back it up. What? Yeah. West Africa, New South Wales, Van Diemen's Land, which is Tans- Tasmania, Western Australia, Bermuda, and Gibraltar. In 1584, Richard Heidleck wrote to Elizabeth I to promote the establishment of British settlements on the eastern seaboard of North America. He argued that while Spain and Portugal were poor and barren countries, levels of crime were low because of the wealth generated by their Atlantic possessions. By contrast, he laminated that we and the French are most infamous for our outrageous, common, and daily piracies. Mm -hmm. The Iberian nations, he pointed out, lacked men rather than the means of employing them. In order to deliver our commonwealth from multitudes of loiterers, and idle vagabonds, he argued that offenders should be condemned to service in new found lands, land, and other parts of the Americas where they could be employed in a number of tasks, including sawing and felling timber, manufacturing pitch and tar, mining metals, planting sugarcane, and gathering cotton, whereof there is plenty. So just to refresh, where did he say these folks should go? First of all, who are the folks that was going to do the, the labor? Commonwealth from the multitude of loiterers and idle vagabonds. They are the offenders and they should be sentenced to for service in the newfound land. Okay, so any lands that they are colonizing and other parts of the Americas where they could be employed in a number of tasks. Okay, so just in case we confuse, if you get thrown off by the cutting down of the timber, manufacturing, and mining metals, uh, he threw up in here what the main two labor points that they tell you they brought the slaves over from Africa. Planting sugarcane and gathering cotton where there is plenty. Okay, let's continue. While Hacklute was uh, uh, 
conspicuous in identifying timber, cotton, and sugarcane as important future New World crops. Few attempts were made to provide a legal mechanism for directing convicted felons to England's colonies until after Governor Dale of Virginia appealed for some to be sent to provide desperate needed labor. In response, James I decreed in 1615 that prisoners sent to death who for strength of body or other ability shall be brought, I'm sorry, shall be thought fit to be employed in foreign discoveries should be sparred on condition of overseas service. Okay. All right. I don't know what happened to my highlights. All right. So I I think this is pretty clear. They needed labor in the new colonies, which is, this is at the 1615 mark. But they had to put the laws on the books to pull the prisoners From England, and I'm in, uh, I'm assuming Scotland and Ireland also, but even if we want to limit it to England. So to pull prisoners from England and their sentence is they are supposed to go labor in the newfound land. In this particular instance, this is in Virginia. So now I'm going to say again, what is really the 1619 Project about? Is it really about Africans coming over to the Americas as slaves? Or is it really about black Europeans coming over as prisoners of war slash convents? So what's it really about? The first 17 convicts so pardoned were handed over to Sir Thomas Smith, governor of the East Indian Company in the same year. Mm -hmm. Rather than being shipped to the Indies, however, they probably ended up in Virginia. The first of a long line of felons transported to Britain overseas Colonial possessions. Mm-hmm. Let's continue. The British practice of convict transportation did not formally cease until the penal settlement of the Adaman Islands was wound up in 1945. In the intervening 330 years, the British transported convicts to many parts of the world. These included most of the North American colonies. Huh? In their intervening 330 years, the British transported convicts to many parts of the world. These included most of the North American colonies, the Caribbean islands of Barbados, Jamaica, Montserrat, Nevis, and St. Kitt, the slave factories at Gory and Cape Coast Castle in West Africa, the Australian colonies of New South Wales, Van Diamond's Land, I think that's Tasmania today, and Western Australia. The Indian Ocean Islands of Martinique, Ben Kulin, Penang, the Tanzarium Province, okay, so Burma, and the Strait Settlements, Singapore and Southeast Asia, as well as Bermuda and Gibraltar. 
So let's just highlight all of these. Uh-huh. So again, they are clearly telling you. They're clearly telling you. The amount of time that this transatlantic slave trade, i.e., they call it transportation of convicts or prisoners, they're telling you the time frame, they're telling you where they got them from and where they're shipping them to. And so... North American colonies is in there. The Caribbean islands are in there. The slave factories at Gori and Cape Coast Castle in West Africa. So right here, isn't that the reverse of what they teach? Because according to the official narrative, all slaves, if you are, quote, quote, black and melanated, you came from West Africa. So if you live in the Americas, so meaning the mainland Americas and uh, the Caribbeans, your folks came from West Africa. But yet right here, they're saying the slave factories, they ship folks, those convicts or prisoners, they also ship them to Cape Coast Castle in West Africa. Right? They were doing it all over the world. Okay? All right, so let's look at the map that he provided, uh, and then we'll get back into it. So he's giving you the time frames. This is an absolute excellent map. He's giving you the time frame of the transatlantic slave trade. American colonies, 1615 to 1776. Caribbeans, 1615 to 1718. And specifically, uh, Bermuda, 1824 to 63. So you all see. But notice Africa. Notice Africa. West Africa. 1782. Both places. Gory and the Gold Coast. Okay. Then you see the other parts of the world also. Okay. So I wonder is Gibraltar a part of Africa or Asia? Or because you see the little in betweenness of it. But nonetheless. So you see the other time periods. Okay. But the earliest was the Americas. That was the earliest. So who made up these early American slaves? Was it Africans or was it Europeans? Hmm. Let's continue. While some of uh, these transportation flows are well documented, this is particularly the case for Australia. Others are poorly recorded and little understood. It is also striking that there have been few, if any, attempts to make sense of the British transportation policy within the empire as a whole. I wonder why that is. Because would that not totally change the narrative of who is whom? I think that it would. Let's continue. 
Yet in the absence of such a broad view, it is difficult to explain fluctuations in British transportation policy over time. This article will address these issues by attempting to qualify, I'm sorry, quantify the flow of convicts shipped from British Isles over time. Okay, so just to be clear, this diagram down here, this is representing British convicts, not African slaves, British convicts. Let's continue. This quantitative view will be used to improve an, un, improve an understanding of the forces that drove transportation policy and the manner in which the deployment and treatment of convicts was influenced by the experience of managing other, of managing other unfree labor systems. And he's going to get into that a little bit more. Finally, the article will examine the success of the opposition to continued transportation in the 19th century and the impact that this movement had on the decline of transportation as punishment. Hmm. Defining transportation. Penial transportation was not a British invention. The use of convicted labor to aid the process of European colonization of overseas territories dates back at least to the Portuguese invasion of Kuta in North Africa in 1450. 15. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. And I'm pausing because I want this to sink in. They are clearly telling you that this has always been about using prisoners of, of war and I'm and in some cases using folks that actually committed crimes as labor okay all right they talk about who started it first, the Portuguese. Invasion in North Africa in 1415. Hmm. Let's continue. There are arguments that it was used by other cultures at even earlier dates. Such claims depend, however, upon how transportation is defined. The wording adopted by the Australian government for, ooh, let's pause. I'll go back up to that. Let's get to this, um, oh, you really did a good job. You did an excellent job, Mr. Maxwell Stewart. Okay, so the use of convicted labor to aid the process of European colonization overseas territory dates back to at least the Portugal invasion in North Africa in 1415. So let's get to the 1415. I forgot that he had put that in here as well. He's pretty clear. Okay. So he's this this is the portico convicted labor slash prisoners of war. This these are the territories. So you see South America. Okay, so they go to North African. So from 1415 to the 1900s, then uh this would be Cape Verde, I think that's, is that still North Africa? Yeah, he said it was North Africa, so it is what it is. All right? So you see the different places that the Portuguese 
started with the wars. Okay? So I'm assuming that they were warring the indigenous people in Africa for their land and resources. So the Portuguese started the practice of enslaving the population and shipping them out to their other colonies for labor, which was called renamed the slave trade. Okay? So as you can see in the Americas, um, they have Puerto Rico and Cuba, but that's 1766. Veracruz, there's no date on that. Then you get down to South America. We should be familiar with Brazil, Brazil, okay? The sugar cane. We should know that um, that population was based on the Portuguese slave trade, right? And then you see, uh, this is the French, so I don't think that's uh, Portuguese. So I can't put that on them. <laughs> I can't put that on uh, Portuguese. That's the French uh, drama, all right? But nonetheless, you can see. So let's continue. There are arguments that it was used by other cultures at even earlier dates. Such claims depend, however, on how transportation is defined. The wording adopted by the Australian government, for example, is the forced removal of convicts from their country of origin to a different country or place, a definition that would exclude the Han dynasty of convicts, labor, and government salt and iron monopolies as these prisoners were not transported beyond the boundaries of China itself. So in other words, you all are, well, that's not the author saying that. This is me saying that. They want to pick and choose what definition they want to put stuff on. Because the more we get this research, the more that we see, and as I've been telling you all for quite some years, that the definition of that they're giving us for slavery, it's just not accurate. So whether or not you want to call it convicts, whether or not you want to call it transportation, whether or not you want to call it prisoners of war, whether or not you want to call it slavery, this is what happened. These kingdoms, these European kingdoms, came to indigenous people's territory to colonize. Wars broke out, of course, as they should have. And as the indigenous people lost, They were put into what has been renamed as slavery, but sentenced as convicts and shipped off to other colonies around the world. In practice, the process of convict transportation is usually assumed to include the reforced the enforced removal of prisoners via an ocean-going voyage so that their labor can be employed elsewhere, predominantly in places so remote and or possessing such high death rates that securing migrant labor by other means was difficult, if not impossible. as well as a mechanism for populating potentially dangerous corners of the empire, transportation provided the early modern British state with a degree of judicial flexibility. Prior to the early 17th century, 
Prisoners convicted of serious offenses were either executed or awarded lesser punishments, including whippings. By claiming benefits of clergy, an offender could escape the death penalty as long as they submitted to being branded on the thumb. This loophole could only be used once, hence the need to burn a record into the flesh of the recipient. Hmm. I remember as part of the slave, the African slave trade narrative, they use slaves being branded. Hmm. Let's continue. Transportation provided the state with an intermediate form of punishment that had an advantage in that it was long-term. Seven years quickly became established as the minimum length of time for which a convict could be banished. Mm -hmm. And could be expected to have deterrent value in that it was a punishment that others would fear. Yet, as Balak and Live pointed out, or Lavi pointed out, there were other options open to Stuart England. So let's be clear on who was in power when this prison colony or this prison labor system was established. The state could have built workhouses, penitentiaries, and other places of correction that would have served the same purpose. Thus, with the exception of about 50 convicts dispatched in the late 17th century to Suriname, the Dutch Republic did not transport its, transport its felons to the New Netherlands, choosing instead to sentence prisoners to confinement. All right, so in other words, the Dutch didn't use the practice of um, uh, shipping their prisoners to other lands, okay? I guess they said they did with the exception of 50. So, child, who knows what the 50 done, all right? While the English did build many houses of corrections in the 17th century, these were primarily used to house vagrants and petty offenders who had been tried by lower courts. Sentences were short, usually less than a month. As such, they were hardly comparable with continental, uh, yeah, continental institutions of incarceration. And Spearsenberg describes their proliferation as a mirage. Even in the 18th century, prison sentences were sparingly used and remained brief by Dutch and German standards. The allure of transportation was that by trading property rights in the bodies of the convict, it was possible to deliver punishment on the cheap. Okay. So once again, they're telling you trading property rights in the bodies of the convict, convicted rather, of the convicted. It was possible to, del to deliver punishment on the cheap. So again, the concept of slavery was about using prisoners as labor. Under the parallel system of indentured prospective migrants to the colonies who could not afford the cost of the voyage sold their labor to a shipping contract for an agreed period of time. Okay? So like I have been telling you all over the years, what slavery really meant. It was prisoners of war. It was indentured servants who had contracts. Very little African slave trade. The contractor would then resell their services to the highest bidder in the new world. 
What distinguished convict transportation from indenture was the length of sentence opposed upon the felon. If sentences to confinement remain short in order to keep costs down, sentences to transportation were fixed at lengthy terms for similar reasons, parimonious reasons. As Grubbs points out, only 2% of indentured servants over the age of 14 signed contracts for more than seven years and only 10% for more than six. Literate, skilled adults signed the shortest contracts of all, which would make sense because they had the highest value. While the minimum sentence to transportation was seven years, the average length of servitude for male convicts landed in Baltimore between 1767 and 1775 was nine compared with just under four years of indentured servants. Not surprisingly, the past record of convicts made them less attractive to prospective buyers. Okay, so in other words, if you are a repeat offender, and always got some dramatization. And based on what did you get convicted of? It's like, oh, I really don't want you. you. You more trouble than it's worth. Not surprisingly, the past record of convicts made them less attractive to prospective buyers. Such disadvantages, however, were offset by the additional years that felons were bound to serve. In short, the length of a sentence to transportation was fixed, not for legal reasons, but in order to position convicts competitively within the transatlantic market in unfree labor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to make these convicts attractive versus unfree labor. So you could put the unfree labor if you want to throw that in with African slave trade, which we've already talked about that the African slave trade was much more expensive. Hence why in the, uh, the Royal African company of England, they stopped the practice of trading the slaves because it just had become too expensive. Counting convents. There is a potential cost to any process of enumeration. While numbers have their place, exercises in counting can also obscure the impact of the past on individuals. As the Australian convict Thomas Brooks remarked when recalling a flogging at Moreton Bay Penal Station, how gilbilly one can say, 100 lashes. They were not comfortable to take, I can assure you. Yet counting is important if we wish to place experiences like those of Brooks within a wider content, context. Estimates of how many convicts were transported over time, for example, revealed much about the mechanisms of transportation and evolving British penal strategy. Some transportation flows were extraordinarily well recorded. We know, for example, the color of the eyes of some of the 160,000 convicts transported to the Australian colonies between the end of the Napoleonic Wars of 1868. Even for the 18th century, it is possible to name most of the 37,000 convicts estimated to have been sentenced by England and Scott, Scottish courts to transportation to Americas between 1718 and 1776. Far less is known about the transportation from Ireland in the same period. Although the best estimates is that a further 13,000 convicts were shipped from there. There are also difficulties in calculating the number of convicts transported before 1718. Okay, which is how they're able 
to run this game, and this is in regards to America. Oh, come on. That's how they're able to run this game <clears throat> on um, the slave trade, the uh, transatlantic, the African transatlantic slave trade in the Americas. Okay. Okay. So let's continue. Coldham has painstakingly gleaned the names of over 6,000 individuals sentenced to transportation by English courts in the period 1650 to 1717, almost all of them in the period after the rest of, uh, restoration of 1660. While pardons, deaths, and failure to finalize contracts with shipping merchants mean that some were never transported, there are also gaps in the record series, particularly for the Midland Circuit Court. Moreoverly, there are no data whatsoever for convicts transported out of Ireland for this period. Hmm. So that's almost, what, a hundred year gap in the records. Uh, having spotty records, I'll put it that way. And then Ireland, which remember, you had the upset with Cromwell shipping out the uh, Irish and including in that the, the Jacobite supporters. Hmm. But we're going to continue. But in the midst of these missing records, they're telling us that it was a bunch of Africans that came over to the Americas via 1619, hence their 1619 project. Oh, okay. But yet we have documentation on the visitation of Kent naming the families that came over to the Americas called the 1619 Kent Visitation. Hmm, okay. Taking such deficits into account, 6,000 is probably not an unreasonable estimate for those transported in the period 1661 through 1770. 1717. A considerable number of individuals were sent into exile during, oh, there's my notes, the intergaram government of 1648 to 1660. And I was supposed to pull the mean, meaning for that. So I'm assuming that's interim government. Okay. As these were poorly documented, it is difficult to estimate numbers with any certainty. There is also an argument that many of those exiled during this period should be counted as prisoners of war rather than felons. There are additional difficulties with establishing a count of convicts transported to Bermuda, 1823 to 1863, and Gibraltar, 1842 to 1874. Although 9,000 convicts are said to have been sent to each location to work, in the Royal Navy dockyards, records for only half this number have been located to date. There is also a danger of double counting in that some conflict convicts from both places were transferred to Van Diamond's Land, which that is um, Tasmania, Australia, and Western Australia to complete their sentence sentences. Okay, let me just highlight that. <clears throat> Despite such problems, it is possible to reconstruct the flow of con convicts departing from the British Isle from 1660 to 1870 with a degree of certainty. It is more difficult to calculate the numbers transported between the different colonies. 
Some prisoners were dispatched from the Caribbean, Canada, the Cape Colony, Martinique, India, Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand to the the penal settlements in Bermuda, New South Wales, Van Diamond Land, which is Tasmania, and Western Australia. While these intercolonial transporters included some Africans, African Americans, South Asians, Aboriginal, and Maori prisoners, there were also attempts to segregate British penal settlements racially. So I want you all to, we read this in his um, introduction, this part about where the prisoners were coming from. Where were they coming from? The British Isles. He gave you where they were going to. And then he told you that there was some inter-colonial transportees. Okay? So there are Africans in there. So when he say African-American, I'm telling you, that is the indigenous black folk of the Americas. South Asian, and he's giving you all of that. The establishment at Ben Kulin, 1787 to 1825. Penang, 1790 to 1860. Uh, I'm saying Martinez. I were reserved were reserved for convicts of Asian descent. So the transatlantic slave trade was worldwide. It was not exclusive to the coast of Africa. Thus, while European soldiers court-martialed in India, okay, before I I do that, I'll come back to that. Okay, so right here, he's giving you uh, the annual number of convicts transported from Britain and Ireland. Okay, and giving you the source and all of that. He's showing you the graph. Okay, so where are they coming from? Britain Britain and Ireland. From 1615 to 1817. This is the timeline. Okay. All right, so let me go back up there. Thus, while European soldiers court-martialed in India were forwarded to Australia. Whoa! Ah! Woo, baby! That's going to come into play of importance on a later podcast that I'm going to do. So, um, whew, that one messed me up. And once I get to that podcast, you'll understand why it messed me up. You will understand why. We're forwarded to Australia. Their suppose counterparts were sent to Indian Ocean Settlements. While it is possible to provide broad estimates 
of the overall number of convicts transported within the Indian Ocean world, it is not possible to reconstruct the flow of prisoners over time. This article is therefore largely limited to analysis of the approximately 36,000 women and 204,000 men transported from the British Isles between 1661 and 1870, although at least 70,000 men and women were transported from British colonies in South and Southeast to Indian Ocean Penial settlements. Okay, so just right quick, I want to put a note in here. Uh, so when I come back, um, Uh, prisoners shipped to Australia. Ooh, baby. I know I'm spelling it wrong. No, oh, well, I know what I'm trying to say. All right. The majority of these were repeat offenders transported for petty theft, while an older <clears throat> literature found, followed. The 19th century convention of assuming that the bulk were drawn from the ranks of the underserving poor and therefore possessed little by way of skill, this position has been questioned more recently. The convicts transported to the Americas and Australia appear to have possessed skills that were broadly represent rep, a representative of the wider British, Irish, and working class. Mm-hmm. But let's continue. Although political offenders made up a minority of convicts, the mi minority still numbered in the thousands. Some of these were transported for open acts of rebellion, but many others were ex- exile for civil protest. John Otter, for example, was sentenced to transportation in 1665 for attending an unlawful religious meeting and refusing to give his abode, saying his habitation was with God. Okay, well, okay, I mean, that still seems minor to me when he just went to a protest but okay, <laughs> transportation from the British Isles. Between 1660 and 1717, the number of felons sent overseas remained low, averaging around 100 per year. Before 1717, only those sentenced to death and pardon on condition of transportation could be shipped to the Americas. So, between the periods of 1660 and 1717, wasn't that many per year, about 100. But before then, those on death row were shipped to the Americas. So would that not mean that the Americas was a prison colony also? And this also lines up when France was colonizing the Americas that Louis, actually Louis's brother suggested it to him, Philippe, because Louis was looking for new sources of revenue because these folks that's all they know how to do is run up a bill okay strip the land of its natural resources and then once they run out of said natural resources or get so much into debt they look for new territories to take So the newfound land or the Americas, in this case, because they called them all newfound land, the Americas looked like, oh, let's see what's up over there. And Philippe 
It was like, well, you know your soldiers not finna mess with you like that, uh, King Louis. You already owe them money. They worn out from, for, from fighting. They're not finna go over there and just work for free. Because you already owe them back pay. But now what you could possibly do, I think what you should do, send send some prisoners over there. Matter of fact, I'll even go through and start hand-picking them and set up the program. So France did the exact same 